Also, this weekend is actually Labor Day weekend. So I'd like to throw out a question. What do you guys like to do besides eating, okay? Eating on Labor Day weekend, okay? Uh, what is something that your family do during Labor Day weekend? Uh, for my family, my, my, my parents and I, when we were growing up, uh, we, we would go camping during uh, Labor Day weekend. And I remember my first camping trip to Yosemite. Uh, we lived in SoCal. We, we drove for many, many hours, and our first experience of camping in Yosemite was a nightmare because we, we, we were attacked by the bears. We, we, didn't, we didn't know that we were supposed to um, put all the food away, and so the, the, the night, we just left it open, and then we got attacked by the bears, and um, that, that um, year was the coldest year for Labor Day weekend, and I remember um, shivering uh, in, in a very, very very, very loose or very, very uh, thin tent. And I remember that first uh, uh, camping trip that I had with my parents. And so, once again, happy, happy Labor Day weekend. Whatever, whether that you guys enjoy a barbecue, we get, whether that you guys go camping, whether that, whatever you guys do, and may the Lord bless you and, and keep you. So would you guys open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 20. Those of you guys who don't have a Bible, uh, the passage is going to be on the slides as we read, as I read uh, God's Word this morning. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to this country of the Gadarenes, and they, when they had come out of the boat, immediately they met out a tomb of a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs. No one could bind him, not even the chains, because he had often bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And then he always, night and day, he was in the mountains, in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he had saw Jesus afar, he ran and worshipped him, and cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I do to you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, implores you by God that you do not torment me? For he had, he had, for he had said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding nearby in the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swines, that we may enter them. At once Jesus gave their permission. Then the unclean spirit went out, entered the swines. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep, placed into a sea, and drowned in the sea. Those who had f uh, fed the swine fled, and they told him in the city, in the, in the country, and they all went out of the sea what was about to happen. And they all came to Jesus and saw that no one had been, who had been demon-possessed and had been legion, sitting and clothed and in the right mind. They were all afraid. Those who saw and told him how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. And they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And he got into the boat, who had been demon-possessed, begged him that he might not be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but he said to him, Go home to your friends and family. Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. And now he has, has compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him. And all were marveled. Let me pray as we dive into today's word. Um, Lord, would you um, allow us to kind of, as Gordon said, 
sit still and just ponder the idea of who you are. Lord, would you forgive us for craving other things more than you? And this morning, would you allow us to redirect our hunger and thirst only for you? Would you open up our eyes to the benefits of prayers and fastings as we are going to do on Tuesdays, as we're calling it Be Still on Tuesdays? And I just ask that, Lord, that will you just give us the desires to turn to you with all our hearts, with all our souls, and all our strengths. And I ask in the name of Jesus that we be able to do it as a body of CLC. And Father God, I ask in the name of Jesus that we will be able to be right now, be a pleasing aroma for the actions, for the worship that we're about to give to you. Father, I thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, as we were going through our last sermon series on mental health, um, I ran across an article written by Dr. Paul Tournier, a medical doctor from Switzerland, who is also a pastoral counselor, and he says something very interesting that caught my attention. This is what he wrote. I believe that nine out of ten people who go to a psychiatrist don't need to go. What they really need is someone to find someone who will genuinely love them with God's love. I know the quote is right there. I want you, I want us to let that sink in for a moment. Last week, Pastor Eric started us off on a brand new series called, we're calling it Four People and Four Stories as we dive into the Gospel of Mark which shows that Jesus came and preached about repentance and the good news of the kingdom. And as we take a closer look at these four people and four stories from Jesus' life and ministry, which demonstrates his invitation to turn our lives and follow Jesus. And if you ever read the book of Mark, there are a lot of miracles, and the miracles of Jesus illustrates again and and again both the power and the compassion of Jesus. Now, since we're talking about miracles, I think the greatest miracles is the transformation of an individual as we realize that God's greatest miracle happened on Calvary, on that very cross, that he died and he rose again, and that he exchanged our sinfulness with his righteousness. And then when we began to believe in that greatest, the miracle of salvation, God gives us a new heart and makes us anew in Christ Jesus. But I think Jesus knew otherwise because he invites us to repent. Now, I want to throw out this word to you, the word repent. What does the word repent mean to you? For me, what repent means is to change my inner self, my old ways of thinking, confess my sins so that I become a transformed person. But the challenges that Jesus presents involves breaking out of our patterns of self-absorptions and giving ourselves in service and service of really genuinely loving others. And maybe that's why Jesus commands us to be humble ourselves like a child, to have a childlike faith. 
If you read in Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like a little child, you will no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, have you guys ever have, had a child? And I know that a lot of the children were going in. But if you think about a child, a child is very simple. They're not very complex. You will never see a child believing in something and acting contrary to what they believe. For instance, loving other people. Do you know that even Zechariah speaks of this truth in his book as God speaks about how people treated the Jewish nations or the Jewish people? If you read in Zechariah 2.8, this is what he says, Whoever touches you, O Israel, touches the apple of my eye. And that's exactly the story of what we're going to go through. Jesus Christ showing us this transformed living by modeling for us as he constantly points to the definitive ways of a different or a better living as he continues to serve humanity. This kingdom living or transformed living is a roadmap for us as we live our lives serving like how he did. So let's dive in to today's story. Verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. You know, actually, this verse, if you actually read the previous chapter in Mark chapter 4, Jesus actually forces his disciples, or he commands his disciple to go over to the other side while leaving the multitude. So turn to with me to Mark chapter 4, verse 35 and 36. And this is what Jesus says. Let us... Go across to the other side, leaving the crowd. So here's my first point. That kingdom living means that we go over to the other side. If it means leaving the multitude. You know, frankly speaking, don't we love the multitude? We like to be in the in crowds, right? I mean... Who here likes to be on the outside? We love the attention. We love the accolades of others. We love the limelights to be the center of the attention. But quite often, we see our master teacher removing himself from the crowd, either to find a quiet place to to pray, or that he would leave the multitude to go after that one lost sheep. And and this morning, as I give you those three points, I'm going to ask or I'll be asking three questions along with those points. And, And the first question that I would like for us to ponder this morning is, as a child of God, do you find it hard or difficult to believe that God loves those people who are on the other side? Do you find, as a child of God, hard or difficult to believe that God loves those people on the other side, on the other side of town, other people who are not in your inner circle? As we co-labor for his kingdom work, 
We need to realize that Jesus himself was very conscientious about other peoples, the other side, especially those who are lost. So he would often leave the multitude, removing himself the crowd, in order for him to go over to the other side who are wandering and wandering, wandering and wandering, those who were poor, sick, persecuted, marginalized, rejected, even for this demon-possessed person. Now, think about this. You read the book of the Gospels, and Jesus would often remove himself from the multitude, and he would be removing himself to the other side so that he would be with the poor, the sick, persecuted, marginalized, and to be the rejected. So as you see in verse 3, he commands his disciples, let's go over to the other side to free a demon-possessed man who has been in bondage for many years. Verse 3 says, He who had been dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had been often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anybody tame him, and always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out, cutting himself with stones. Now, I, I want you to, to pause here for a moment and I want you to realize, because that's exactly what we want to do as a staff, as we're going through the book of Mark, I want you to ponder, or I want you to kind of reevaluate the way that you think about who Jesus is. So stop here for a moment, and I want you to right now think about who this Jesus that we serve. You know, I mean, what, what society tries to do and how the society tries to handle a person who is crazy, we actually isolate him and we put him in a prison, right? In, 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 a, in a sanitary prison, right? And often we say, well, if we can't change a person, let's just put them away. But I want you to notice what Jesus does. With Jesus, with his incredible compassion, he leaves the multitude and he goes to the other side. And so the question that I asked this morning is that as a child of God, do you find it hard and difficult to believe that God loves those people on the other side, on the other side of town, on the other side of street, the other side of those people who are very, very different from us? And I want you to answer that in regards to what Jesus did. The second point that I would like to address is that kingdom living means that we go the extra miles. Kingdom living means we go the extra miles. Now, in order for them to go to the other side from where they were, right, they had to actually travel 40 miles out of their ways. Now, it, it wasn't just a long distance, but they actually had to go through something. Uh, let, me, let me illustrate. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35 and 37, on the same day when the evening had come, he had said to them, let us cross over to the other side. And now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in a boat where he was, and the other little boats also with him, and a great windstorm arose. And the waves beat the boat so that it was already filling. 
Now, did you notice that not only was the distance 40 miles away out of the ways, but they actually had to weather the storms. Now, I I want you to take a look at this whole idea of going through the storms. Jesus goes the extra miles by going through the storms. Now, uh, in the United States, we just had a horrendous hurricane in Florida, and I was just there last week. So it came just in the nick of time. Uh, I heard that the, some of the people who actually left there because their, their flight got canceled, you know, they, they were stuck. And they told me that, Pastor Ben, it was incredible, that, that, that the roof of these uh, gas stations were flying everywhere. And I looked at it on YouTube, and I just couldn't believe. Now, this storm that Jesus had to weather was no ordinary storms because some of those disciples who were fishermen by trade, they got scared. We all know the story, right? They got scared and they got petrified. And not only that, I don't know about you, but storms are very uncomfortable. You get wet. Maybe, you know what, they had to go out buy rain gears, I don't know, which cost, you know, cost them a lot of money, I don't know. I remember when I was growing up, my mom on a rainy day would always say, don't you dare bring that muddy shoes into the house. Or don't you dare go into that mud because you are going to ruin that brand new shoes that we just bought you. See, going or weathering the storm, it's actually cumbersome. It's actually troublesome. But we see Jesus going through this storm or going the extra mile. Now, do you think he knew about the storm? Of course, he knew. But he goes there anyways. As I was kind of pondering the passage, I I thought about going the extra mile, doing more than what is expected by the religious leaders who lived according to the letter of the law, which demanded eye for an eye. Notice that extra mile of Jesus is all about grace that does more than is required. Because he knew that going the extra mile can change a life of a person and to win a soul, and the outcome is worth the trouble that we go through. As I mentioned that I was in Orlando for a pastor's convention last week. And on Wednesday, uh, we, we got a bad news saying that all the leadership, all the leadership pastors got COVID. And so from Wednesday until Friday, all our, our, all our sessions were Zoom. And one of the pastors went out and bought COVID test kits. There were 32 people. And he told me that it cost almost about $300. I I never knew that test kits cost that much. And the person who went to go out that bought the 32 test kits, he got COVID. And and so the leadership told me, hey, can you go out and buy test kits for us? So Thursday, I went out, and I I looked at CVSs, Walgreens. They're all sold out. They're all sold out. And as I was walking out of CVS, in front of me, there was Costco. Right? And, and all of a sudden, a, a light came on and says, Costco, okay, I'm going to go to Costco. And I went in and I asked the person in front and says, hey, do you guys have test kits? And the guy looked at me so funny, seriously. 
And he said, are you from California? And I said, how did you know? Because in the state of Florida, in the state, city of Orlando, no Costco carries test kits. They haven't, they haven't been carrying it for years. And I'm going, so then how do you test yourself? And he looked at me and says, you know what? Um, we don't test ourselves. I'm serious. And so I asked him, I asked him, okay, hey, can you do me a huge favor? Hey, can you look into your system just in case if, like, you know, some Costco far away, they're still left with, you know, test kits. And so he looks in the computer and he looks up and he says, yeah, there is a Costco 40 miles north that still has test kits. And so I drove 40 miles 40 miles back, 80 miles, to buy those test kits. And later I found out when I came home this week that I had incurred about $48 of toll fees to go. I'm serious, serious. To go the extra miles. You know, um, the more I read about the Bible, I see Jesus placing so much emphasis upon a full-blown commitment to him. So here is a second question that I would like to ask you. Are we, or are you, willing to go to the extra mile for Jesus and just how far we will we, uh, we allow our faith to penetrate our lives? Are we willing to go to the extra miles for Jesus and just how far will we allow our faith to penetrate our lives? I believe that this morning that Jesus is challenging us that if we want to see the kingdom of God, that we need to go to the extra miles. Because I really believe after going 40 miles and 40 miles back, that was okay. The $48 of toll charge, it was actually okay. But what actually irked me was that 40 miles, 40 miles back, 80 miles took four and a half hours. Because they they don't have freeways. They have those expressways where they have signals every other places. You know what? And those those lights, oh my goodness, it's, it's so long. And so I asked one of the pastors who grew up in Florida, and he said, yeah, I know. At one of those stops, we could actually reply four emails and four text messages because it's so long. But I believe that what Jesus is challenging us this morning is that to go to the extra miles because this is what I learned or the Holy Spirit told me as I was waiting is that it actually sets apart from those who just will just do enough or those who claim, I've done my share. Or for those people who say, nah, going the extra mile is too dangerous or it could be really, really costly. As I was sitting in that long traffic signals, what God had taught me is that going extra miles, it sets us apart from those people who just say, well, I've done my shares Nah, it's too dangerous. Going through or weathering the storms is too dangerous. Or it could get really, really costly. 
So the question, once again, I'd like to throw out is that are we willing to go to the extra mile for Jesus? And thirdly, kingdom living means seeking and saving the lost. Uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 18 through 20, when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he, may, he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends. Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has given you, how he had, had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and all of them were marveled. Now, Decapolis was a ten Greek cities in the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, including Damascus. And it was to this Gentile community that Jesus commanded this man to go and bear witness after being freed from this demon-possessed, right? And all the people of these ten cities were marveled at his conversion. Now, I want you to right now notice something else. You see, the society that feared the demon-possessed man, what did they do? They locked him up for years, right? But now, they were afraid for a different reason. You see, they had just witnessed the exercise of the ultimate miracle, transformation of this individual. And verse 16 and 17 said, those who saw it told them how it had happened to him who had been demon-possessed about the swines, and they began to plead with Jesus to depart from their region. Now, here was this guy who was demon-possessed, right? He's living, he's been in shackles, he breaks the shackles, he has supernatural strength, he yells at people, he screams at people, he cuts himself, he cries out. He's a very, very deranged, demonized, tormenting. Now, how would you like to have that person for your neighbor? And then Jesus comes to town, delivered this man from the legion of dooms, right? Demons. And they asked Jesus to what? To leave. Now, I want you to think about this. In most neighborhoods, if you were to ask the people, choose between these two, the demon-possessed, foaming at the mouth, naked, who cuts himself, yells at people, rattling his chains around versus Jesus, if you were to choose which neighbor would you have, if you were in a right position or in rightful mind, most people would say, yes, please, demon-possessed person, depart. Get rid of that demon-possessed guy, right? He's been a horrible neighbor, neighbor for years. We've been afraid of him. We hate to go to that part of the town, but we actually see the people pleading with Jesus please leave. It doesn't make sense. Does it make sense to you? But for Jesus, it wasn't about the pigs nor the demons. For Jesus, it was about delivering that one person from the other part of town, weathering the storms, to go over to the other side so that he could actually free that man from demon-possessed who's been possessed for 40 years. So in today's story, we see Jesus traveling, sailing 40 miles out of his ways, weathering the storms, yet the people were too focused 
on the considerable financial loss as they told Jesus, would you please get in your boat and go away because what a waste of pigs. Now, could it be that this kind of prayer is our prayer sometimes? Jesus, would you just please go away because of the certain sins that we have in our lives? Jesus, would you just leave me alone because I don't want to repent of my sins that I know, that only I know. And sometimes we forget that Jesus knows it too. Not a prayer of repentance, nor an invitation of, wow, that's amazing that you just delivered this man from those demons. Hey, Jesus, we have more people in our city. We have more people in our church like him. We would love for you to come in and handle and transform the lives of these peoples. But these people say, hey, Jesus, would you just go away? You know, as I was preparing and I read a commentary, and this is from the commentary. Now, the Bible doesn't really clearly explain to us why Jesus or the Jesus reasoning to put the, these demons into the herd of pigs. Maybe it was, so dis, it was so to display his sovereignty over those demons. Certainly, this could be one of the reasons. If the pigs' owners were the Jews... Jesus could have been rebuking them for violating the Mosaic law, which forbade Jews from eating and keeping these unclean animals, such as these swines. Or, if the swine herds were Gentiles, perhaps Jesus was using this miraculous event to show them the malice of evil spirits under whose influence they had lived, as well as displaying his own power and authority over the creation. Now, if this was the case, then the owners were certainly terrified to be in the presence of a such spiritual power that they made no demands for the restitution for the loss of their pigs and simply just begged Jesus to leave town, leave their region. You, you see, these people may have been awestruck by the miraculous the wonderful transformation of that individual, but they were unrepentant, showing the hardness of their hearts and their desires to remain or continue to sin for the rest of their lives. So then, here is the third question and our final question for today. What pigs in your lives needs to be killed? What prevailing nasty habits are we still holding on to as Jesus urges us to repent for the kingdom of God is here? I know what pigs needs to be killed in our lives, right? But think about it. As Jesus was talking to us, talking to those Gentile people, Comparing those pigs are those unrepentative sins that you continue to have in your lives. You see, the demonstration of God being at work in our lives 
is that he wants us to remove those pigs in our lives. He wants us to restore sanity, gives us the freedom and gives us the purpose rather than to receive and to invite. Could it be that sometimes we invite him to leave or ask him to leave us alone? You know, I love the mission statement here at CLC. Love God, love people, and serve the world. And Pastor Kevin just mentioned it again, reiterate it. We do it all the time, right? And the most important ingredient for this to happen in our lives is that we need to be transformed or kingdom-minded. And we realize that we cannot do this on our own, but with God's help through the power of the Holy Spirit. But one thing But one thing that we can do is, is what Jesus constantly tells us in the book of Mark, Mark 1.15. Repent. Believe in the good news. You know, the story that I just read to you, it's, it's a great story. It's a great message for us to tell. This is the very essence of the power of the gospel that we should be able to tell and to be able to preach. That this man set free, what Jesus has done for him, it showed the value of one life to Jesus was more than those people in the, living the multitude. To go over to the other side of the storm, to go the extra miles be with Jesus, no one is beyond hope. And if this person can be saved or transformed, than anybody can. You know, when I got saved, I couldn't get enough of the church, the Bible study, and prayer meetings. You know, I just wanted to be around those people who knew the Lord and loved the Lord, and, and, and I would go around. I would love to tell other people what God has done in my life. And one of those things, being in the church, being in the Bible study, being in prayer meetings, one of those things, above all those things, I really enjoyed going out and sharing the good news. And what we just read, after receiving this great miracle, seeking and saving this man's life, what does Jesus tell him to do? Go home to your friends Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. And so he does. He goes and tells it to his family and to Decapolis, the testimony of what God has done. And I told you what Decapolis is, that it is a 10 Greek cities combined. So can you imagine Jesus on the other side of the river or the lake? He sees the man on the other side. He weathers the storm going the extra miles because he knew that while transforming his life, that he would go and share to this ten city of what Jesus Christ has done. I have a habit. During Christmas, on December 1st, I read the book of Luke. So on December 1st, I read the book of Luke chapter 1. And you guys know that Luke has 24 chapters. So on December 24th, Christmas Eve, I finally finish the whole book of Luke. And the reason, I, that is the, the reason I do that is because I want to get a fulfillment or a better picture of why Jesus 
or God sent his own son in a manger to die for us. Try it sometimes. Right? Luke chapter 1 on December 1st. And on December 24th, you, figure you get to read the whole book of Luke, and you get to fully understand the purpose. And the purpose is, it was about six years ago, and I've done it many, many times. I read the book of Luke many, many times. But it wasn't until this, this one particular Christmas Eve, it was actually it wasn't Christmas Eve, it was December 19th, because I was reading Luke chapter 19, verse 10, and all of a sudden I realized this was the very reason why Jesus came to earth. Anybody know Luke 19, 10? The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now you will never forget Luke 19, Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You see, after you have come, after you have been saved, Jesus wants us to acknowledge the greatest miracle, transformation of a life, but it shouldn't stop here. You see, because Jesus compels not only the demon-possessed man, but us. To go and proclaim what Jesus has done in our life. As Pastor Calvin just mentioned that it's September already. It's, 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 a, it's a frequent conversation between my wife and I. Honey, I can't believe how time quickly or how quickly time passes as I'm getting older and older. And as Pastor Calvin mentioned that it's already September, I want to kind of challenge you. For the last nine months, how many people have you told about what Jesus has done in your life? Now, I don't want to focus upon the nine months, but let's focus upon the four months that we still have, September, October, November, and December. I want to include, or I want to conclude today's message, but I want to challenge you. In the next four months, I want you to go and tell what Jesus has done in your life. Because the greatest miracle, I think, is the transformation of oneself. And that Jesus came to seek Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so very much. It was about six years ago that I was reading Luke 19.10. Then I fully understood the whole message of Luke was that you came because you wanted to seek and save the lost. Father God, so often in our lives, we're so busy that we forget to tell others of what Jesus had done in our lives. And I believe the greatest miracle that one could ever receive or witness is the transformation of a person going from the old ways and now living in the new and i ask in the name of jesus would you excite us for the next four months father god as as pastor calvin talked about you know what is the vision of our missions of of our church father god i ask that one of the things would be that we'll be passionately talking about you in our lives father i thank you that you have given us the message that, Lord, kingdom living, Father God, is leaving the multitude sometimes, 
to going over to the other side, to going the extra miles, and understanding, Father Lord, that we ourselves, Father God, needs to seek and save those people with the gospel of Jesus. Father, I thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.